This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Scott, pal, my man, what's up? How much the uh, the Mighty Mustangs lost the championship? Made, Brutal. Made, made the made, championship. We made the chip, but couldn't pull it off. How did they take it? They were fine. I was wrecked. <laughs> oh, is that why you've been like this this week? <laughs> Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by managing editor Andrew Keats, uh, managing editor, also fellow managing editor Andre Lopez Villafaña. What's up, Lopez? What's up, Lewis? Much. I really appreciate how you've called me Lopez because I told you that that's yeah. something I've always wanted people to call me. Yeah. And now everyone I meet, like a Voice of San Diego member, they're like, you're Lopez. Yay, Lopez. Like, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm stoked. All right. I We got out in the world. Did you guys see that this week? We went to a place where other people were as a Voice of San Diego thing. We talked to them. The member coffee this week at Cafe X near Sherman Heights. I guess you, you've clarified it's right on the border. Logan Heights, Sherman Heights. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was nice. It's a nice little setting. You it want is. me? You you want me to buy the building? Like just just dip into yeah. the, the reserves and yeah, buy the like perfect building. Deep into a vision of what it would look like if we were operating out of there. What if instead of doing sort of uh, news, yeah, we just were real estate investors? <laughs> <laughs> that, right. The dream of all of our listeners and all of our people who watch us and in, in from like City Hall is always that we will get there and realize like how hard everything really is do you think the real estate developers would be like see told you yeah but the c told you would be like it's crazy you you put money in and And then you get so much more of it (laughs) it just keeps coming to you all the time okay let's do it Voice of San Diego, a nonprofit news organization and a commercial real estate developer (laughs) (laughs) all right coming up on the show this week some sobering news about homelessness in San Diego the latest numbers downtown show how much this crisis continues to grow, and we don't even have the big number for the region yet. We're going to talk about that and all the questions that we have about it. 
And it's just about that time. The deadline is drawing near for November ballot measures. Will we have a bananas ballot? Andy, yes or no, bananas ballot yet? You're the only person in San Diego who uses that term, so I'm going to have to <laughs> leave that determination to you. Um, I'm willing to tell you some of the things that might be on the ballot. And then I can make that call. Yeah, and then you make that determination. Okay. That's, I mean, it's, You know, look, look, the, the, the value I provide San Diego politics with my coinage. Can't wait to hear what, where this goes. <laughs> the value I bring to San Diego politics with my coinage yeah. comes with some collateral damage, okay? Yeah. And bananas ballots, one of those. That, that was one of the worst ones, All right. yeah. All right. I so. like bananas ballots. <laughs> there are some local measures starting to come together. Transit tax, will it happen, will it not? Height limit for Midway, are they going to do that? I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, a couple of updates. We couldn't let this go this week. There was another revelation in the 101 Ash Street saga. Lisa Howerstadt keeps coming out with these really interesting deposition transcripts and other things. So let's dial back. Remember, there's one guy here who was acting as a volunteer advisor for the city on where to put its people and all its commercial leases and such. And his, the city has accused him of a conflict of interest, of, a, of an illegal conflict of interest, because he had, it turns out, while he was advising them whether they should uh, buy these buildings, he had a contract with the people selling the buildings or leasing to own them uh, to benefit him 45% of the profits or 45% of the costs if the deal doesn't go through. Seems pretty significant conflict, right? So one of the things this week that Lisa came out with was uh, a lot of revelations about how that came together and what was going on. And his entire defense to this has been, correct me if I'm wrong, Andy, that he told the mayor and the mayor's chief of staff that he was, and others in the city, that he was going to- Real estate to, director? Yeah, that he was going the real to- Real estate director's boss? Right. High-ranking high people, people that who he matter. was going yeah. to try to get compensated for this- higher level work that he was doing, right? Correct, yeah. And so I think what we've kind of danced around a little bit is that he never actually told them that he did get paid or exactly what he would get paid, right? Or the terms of the payment, right? Right, and their, their thing has been like, well, once he said he was going to get paid, it was up to the city to figure all out what he needed to disclose and protect himself legally with, right? Yes. Okay, so in Lisa's piece this week, there was a series of revelations that actually when the moment came when it would illustrate to city officials exactly how much he was getting paid in this deal, he told them not to show it. Yeah, he told Sestera, the or the landlord that was buying the building and leasing it back to the city, who he had the contract with, essentially to obscure the detail of his payment such that no one would immediately recognize what it was in a list of other you know, line items in this very, very large transaction, yeah, large, text, complicated transaction. He texted the guy who was working with him on this. He says, I need to get paid the fee upon closing. Uh, will you be able to pay that 4.5 million? Yeah. Uh, how long until I can get the email bullet points? He said, uh, make sure to leave any fee reference off of it. Uh, the guy said, um, you know, wasn't going to mention the $10 million at all. And, and Hughes writes back, even better. Even better. Even better. 
Yeah. That's bananas. It's a uh, <laughs> it's a wild wild thing to say. Because look, like I I I don't want to let the city officials off the hook here. The city officials the the the, the Hughes's lawyer's defense that like, hey, you're the city. You're the protector of the public assets. If you think he's a public official and that he needs to get paid and disclose you it. that you should be the people policing him and making him disclose it. That's fine as far as it goes. I don't, I don't think that that's wrong. And I'm I think there's plenty of blame to go around here. However, somebody who has gone through complex legal documents in public agency, uh, you know, descriptions of deals and that sort of thing. It is often hard to find things, even if you know what you're looking for. Yes. Even if you specifically know what you're looking for, you have to look at these numbers and say, okay, maybe, perhaps that is this thing that I know about. The, the numbers seem to make sense, that sort of thing. If you go out of your way not to describe what a payment is or to not even list $10 million in, in such a way that it would be identifiable, it, could, uh, it is not that hard to imagine people simply missing it. Yeah, and you and, know, and they did. That's the that's yeah. part of what I want to get at is like, had they had to lay out that this ten million dollars was going to X, yeah, we would have seen it. So, Especially so, yeah. after this controversy came up, it would have been immediately identifiable, even during the discussion. Or if we didn't, or if the city council didn't, then at least it becomes that much easier to point the finger at them and saying, what level of due diligence were you doing? Yeah, you press what you, it was all, this was all disclosed in the council agenda. You could have mm -hmm. raised a flag on this if you wanted, but like, it's really hard to say, hey, you should have raised a flag after you have specifically, I'll use the word conspired to leave that information out of the document. $10 million. We went, how many months did we go wondering where $14 million of this deal had gone? Mm -hmm. Everybody's like, I don't know where $14 million. It would have been very easy then to look at that document and say, oh, $10 million of it Ten went here? to this guy. Yes. And, <laughs> okay. <laughs> that That's one part of what came yeah. out. Yeah. The next part was, was equally just wild. Okay. So there was several moments during this during this period where Hughes made the point often that he was doing so much work for the city for free and he joked like maybe I should be part of the deferred retirement option you know the drop program where you get paid for your for continuing to work even if you're re technically retired by the city all these all these things that you know the, it's like using this constant joke that was over the city about how much city employees kind of you know squeezed the system and he's using that he's saying like why don't i do that because boy i'm working hard and i'm not getting paid can you imagine what's going on in your head when you're making a joke about how much you're not how much you're working and not getting paid while you're working on deals that you know are going to get you 10 million dollars <laughs> yeah no i can't imagine that I, I, I cannot. $10 million. Yeah. And I you're mean, like, I, boy, I'm doing a lot of work for free around here. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I, all I, the only thing I can say about it is for, as an armchair, armchair psychologist is he was <laughs> racked with guilt. He was racked with guilt for what he was doing. And that joke was the only way he knew to deal with what was the, the inner turmoil he was dealing with. To me, to me, yeah, those two things that, that he was, he was making that show and he was telling them to leave off 
the the trail of where the money was going from the official documents and and stuff submitted to the city that to me was uh, uh i'm not sure if it's landed as hard as it could because it's a huge deal yeah um it's just crazy to me how like far from reality this feels <laughs> <laughs> like my text messages are usually you know good morning I know. <laughs> is your story in you know oh, i'm gonna go pick up the dogs i'm gonna need the terms on this million uh, yeah can you can you keep the 10 milli out thanks cool <laughs> like this, I, yeah. I can't my brain can't even process what that would be like but i mean i don't know maybe maybe he wanted you know joking like oh i should get paid for this work like maybe he wanted people to recognize that he was doing a lot of work and well it's it's worth revisiting <laughs> like, the very if, public <laughs> tour he took in which he was basked with praise for agreeing to volunteer for the city. Mm-hmm. That was not like, uh, hey, uh, here's a little silent contribution I'm willing to make. Like, oh. no, don't, don't, don't list me publicly. I don't really need to use this for marketing purposes for my very public no. firm. No, no, he had he and Bob Filner held a press conference to talk about how great it was that that he was going to be representing them he, for free. It was free. all over his website. It was a big part of what he was saying. I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I volunteer. Oh um, I don't know, but I think even the fact, like, let's say he was a volunteer and I mean, <laughs> I don't know why we would, but okay. okay. <laughs> but let's say like he was, he, their side deal wasn't going on. He wasn't getting paid at all. Yeah. You know, in yeah. a world where, that, sunshines that was, yeah. butterflies and rainbows okay. um i think even as a city you would want to clarify what a volunteer's role would be and you would be skeptical of people giving you their time for free a hundred percent and it, and <laughs> this is not like this is not 2020 hindsight lots of people were saying that at the time <laughs> yeah it was they were greeted as like naysayers and the type of people who were perpetually unhappy about the city you're yeah. just jealous or you know you're trying to problematize everything but there were plenty of people that were like hey what's a public agency these are very big decisions it's not exactly appropriate to just yeah without any sort of process let yeah. someone come handle that for you for free okay so that be, that happened. Those were those conversations actually occurred let's, in public. Be, so Lisa also quotes the former city manager of the city's chief operations officer, yeah. uh, Scott Chadwick, and she's and he's like, look, if he would have put that number down there, we would have immediately flagged it, and we would have said like, you need to do like a bid process or all this like again, because there's two principles of people making money off of a government government agency. One is it needs to be a public bidding competition and two it needs to be transparent yeah and neither of those were the case there so there's that the second point though i want to follow off of what you said which is like come on city people like he says several times in like a hushed weird way i'm gonna try to get paid for this and you don't nothing in your brain says like maybe i should check out this maybe this volunteer arrangement is getting awfully sticky and weird maybe i should poke around and see what he's talking about yes and whether he's going to try to pull 10 million dollars out of this project that he's telling us whether or not we should do yeah there's an awful lot going on here that deserves scrutiny (laughs) and well goodness is it's being highly scrutinized so i guess i don't even need to say that they needed some conflict resolution Yes. What are your underlying needs? You've been talking about uh, ten million dollars. You've been talking would be my about primary, my my <laughs> proximate need is is ten million dollar bills. How do you th- <laughs> how do you think the people who were like this is weird that he's a volunteer? Yeah. How do you think they feel now? 
Oh, they're stoked. They, they, yeah, they're, they're, they're our biggest readers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Check out check out the Voice of San Diego comment they're section. Like, I'm going to send you $35 now. You guys are doing great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, the second thing we wanted to update you on is just how bananas this ballot will be. On the ballot, we have a few things that we know are coming and a few things that are in jeopardy, correct? Yeah, I think that's fair fair to say. Is the sand egg sales tax to invest in transit mm-hmm. put forward by private groups so it only needs potentially 50% plus one of voter support across the region? Is that going to be on the ballot, do you think? Well, they say so. Their deadline to submit signatures, which is six months after they uh, post the petition, uh, is coming up. It's I think it's May, May 11th or 12th. Mm-hmm. So they will have to put up about 116,000 valid signatures. So they'll turn in, you know, 25% more than that or something along those lines, maybe more to give themselves a buffer. Then the registrar will have 30 days to validate those signatures. Uh, But I talked to the uh, proponents of that measure last week and said, you know, haven't heard anything in a while. How's it going? And they said they have every expectation of submitting far in excess of that 116,000 signatures on schedule They'll do it. They've raised about $2 million for their campaign. Um, so campaigns have gone wrong before where people said, had enough money and said that they were going to submit enough signatures and they didn't necessarily qualify. That happened with the convention center a few years ago. So it wouldn't be the first time that happened, but it would have to be something along those lines at this point for it not to qualify. They, they have every intention of it qualifying. Can we just make a point quickly about how kind of interesting this is that Sandag has handed this responsibility off to this private group? It is. It is. And and it requires a sort of dance, which isn't all that different from the dance that the you know city of San Diego has had to do with its convention center measure, which it also handed off to a private group, but a private group who was charging towards a public priority that city officials had very publicly pursued for a very long time right um and that's i guess sort of the case here with sandag so sandag last year adopted a multi-decade plan for all of the transit and highway and local road projects it says the city's going to need and the way they say they'll be able to pay for that involves multiple sales tax measures passing multiple sales tax measures one in the, the way they envision it one coming this year going into effect right after that. Two years after that, the MTS area, the area served by the Metropolitan Transit System, passing another tax. And then in 2028, another countywide tax. So one and a half cents being passed within the next decade of sales tax increases. So, Which is effectively a, an inflationary thing, right? You're talking about a direct inflationary effort of a 1% times three over the next... Or half cent times three. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah got it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it would for everything subject to the sales tax, right? Sure. Um, so like they have a very public, you know, it's part of a public document that was adopted by a public board through a public process that says here's what we're going to need, and then basically you've got this outside group saying, okay, well we'll take care of one of those. We'll collect signatures and put forward a measure that gives you one of those and the sandag's response to that is 
we will take money from anybody who gives it to us to help us build this project. Um, you know, the, the opponents of this measure or the opponents of this uh, sort of approach, Richard Bailey and Coronado, uh, Rebecca Jones, Mayor in San Marcos, uh, lots of people on the Sandag board who have been very oppositional to this approach are basically saying, like, let's be real. This isn't really a private effort. It's a public effort that has this nod, nod, wink, wink agreement over here. And, you know, they have their own specific complaints, like most people that are not procedural in nature. They don't like uh, that this is being pushed by labor unions and they don't like that labor unions pushed it after Sandag amended its uh, transportation project building to allow unions to get that work. And so they have, you know, substantive concerns here. They don't like the transit investment. They voted against the multi-decade transportation plan in the first place. They don't like the projects that are in it. So they have real concerns um, that are probably, you know, I I think maybe they'd be fine with the procedural endeavor here if it was for the things that they like. Mm -hmm. Um, But so that's sort of their concern, but the it it does create this weird sort of arrangement where the public agency is counting on the success of this private effort. They they need it. If that private effort fails, either to collect the signatures or because the transit tax doesn't go through, Sandag is back to the drawing board about how it's going to make good on all these projects right away. It would be one year after adopting the plan. It would have to make substantive, you know, major, major changes to how it's going to do everything it says it needs to do. So they're depending on it, but they can't provide any support. They can't but, yeah. or guidance. They or can't control it. Like they can't control whatever it. these people come up with and put on the ballot will become part of the rules, right? Yeah, basic. Yes, basically. Now the uh, proponents are are like sort of leaving the project list that's on that's included in the measure very unspecific Mm -hmm. they're saying things like x and y and z um which may be as it should be you you might maybe you don't want to overly prescribe because things do change over time so which is to be clear sandag could have done that they could put forward a ballot measure and only need 50 percent of the vote if they just said we just want money yes and in, and so not outlining specifically where the money's going is what allows you to do that. But if you say where the money's going to go, yeah. then you have to get the two thirds. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this, but um, Terry Gasterlin, the mayor of Del Mar. Yeah. Had like she was very open about her 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 belief that. Voters, she said, would be more likely to approve a Sandag initiated measure than a private citizen initiated measure even at 66 percent if sandag did the work it's supposed to do she she's predicting that people will feel uneasy with this arrangement Mm. that even the the lower threshold will be harder to achieve once people understand how this is this is going about fascinating now i i don't know if political consultants would would necessarily agree with her on that but at least she's articulating specifically what she thinks yeah uh, a couple others. So we talked about the Sports Arena Midway height limit redo. Uh, it was sort of penciling in for the November ballot. Now that they've delayed choosing, or they're going to have to delay choosing who's going to try to run that redevelopment project as a developer, seems like it might not be teed up for the 2022 election. We'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, they'll have until this summer to make that decision. Yeah. Um, I mean, to some extent, I, I'm not all that sure it matters. Yeah. Because no one's going to be breaking ground in the next two years anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you take off the arbitrary deadline of having the, the revote this November and you allow yourself to just spend a little bit more time on the decision-making process and then you vote again in two years, A, you'll be getting a general election electorate, which is the type of electorate that approved it last time, mm-hmm. right? And so the off-year cycle is a lower turnout and the lower turnout usually comes with being slightly older, slightly more conservative. Uh, it's entirely possible it wouldn't succeed in the off-year cycle anyway. And if you're not going to break ground right away, then you don't really, I don't know that you necessarily, I don't know what the, what the urgency is. Mm. So uh, there's also the consideration that Jen Campbell, the city council member running in that district mm-hmm. along the coast is running for reelection and it's tough. Yeah. There are two major candidates that have a real good shot of, of also making it through the primary. Uh, Joel Day and Lori Saldana are also fighting for that seat. And I can't tell if she'd want to run alongside the, ballot measure maybe not so uh it's gonna be a really interesting summer yeah uh lastly there's gonna be no um stormwater tax Mm -hmm. right that's not going on the ballot but there still might be a measure that would allow the city if passed to start to build in and plan for a fee for trash collection correct allow for the possibility of (laughs) <laughs> yes. to be clear yeah. it would not impose the fee yet which 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 isn't uh you know that that's not an academic distinction because it would it, one would be people voting to increase the amount of money they give to the government and one it's not true and but but remember there's a distinction fees are only to be yes. charged for things that you benefit from so you can only charge a fee to like go to a park that you're going to actually use or you can only do if you can't do a fee that actually benefits something else that you're not actually going to use and so but if it qualifies as a fee then it doesn't need to be voted on by the people and that's how they're going to try to impose this it would not necessarily need to be voted on by the people to impose a fee on trash collection if they get this passed first right and any others we think might come up you mentioned ranked choice voting ranked choice voting uh, had a tumultuous first go through the rules committee, and I, I'm a little skeptical that it, that it seems like there's much desire from the city council to put it on the ballot. It's like they don't want to say no, but they don't like it. Clearly. They don't want to say yes. Yeah, yes, exactly. It, it they keep. It's not you. It's me. The the rank choice voting pr- proposal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke about breaking up. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Uh, anyway, so the the June ballot measure, mostly we're just now talking about what's going on the November ballot, but before that, we have a June primary here, and we have put together a ballot guide that we are going to publish on Monday morning. Uh, take a look. It'll help you walk you through most of the things that are going to be on your ballot, most of the competitive races. Uh, we'll have the San Diego County Bar Association's ratings for the judicial races. We'll, we put that into a nice... Uh, attractive graphic that'll be there as well and we're going to follow that up next week with some uh, early election coverage so here we are about a about a month out we will uh, give you the goods nonetheless yeah.
We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on Season 2 of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. We held our member coffee again at the the line that separates Sherman Heights from Logan Heights. And driving down there from downtown was like a tour of the 10 cities across san diego it was amazing how many unsheltered people and the tent encampments uh, that have grown over the last year or so Uh, and then there was the news as reported by the downtown partnership and lisa howerstadt the downtown partnership which serves as a quasi-government sort of private enterprise in downtown they do Cleaning, cleaning ups and also manage the, the maintenance assessment district and such. They said they counted 1,474 unsheltered people and 452 tents downtown and on the outskirts of downtown. One year ago, that was 875 people and 302 tents, a 70% spike in unsheltered people and surge in tents. Just uh, the numbers are just shocking, but, the, but just seeing it out there is, is strong enough. I don't know. It's just whatever we're doing is not working. When you say a percentage increase that large, one of the things you should train yourself to do is to look at the base number, mm-hmm. see if you're just seeing a large increase from a small starting point. Yeah. Last year was anything but a small starting point. We already had a morally troubling level of street homelessness in downtown at this time last year for it to increase 70 percent from something that was already hard to to stomach is astounding and it i i mean i to the extent that one number can do anything it should give us some understanding of why no one seems to really care about much else right now why you know why this is any any poll you see this is the number one issue in the city of San Diego. Yeah, I was I was looking at a poll that they did in New York City for the same sort of thing. Like, what are you most I, concerned about? I was in New York City two weeks ago, and being in a dense urban environment and seeing no people living on the streets in encampments was actually jarring. It was actually shocking to me to walk through a city and not and not see people using the sidewalk as a home. So. That's just the downtown number. We are waiting for the results to come out from the regional task force on the homelessness point in time count. 
uh, we're going to uh, keep an eye out for that. So uh, Tamara Kohler, who's the leader of that group, is going to come on the podcast. We're yes. going to talk to her. Send us any questions you have or anything you might want to say about the issue because we're, we're all grappling with it every day. Our reporter, Lisa Halberstadt, senior investigative reporter and intern Jacob McWinney, also discovered something really interesting recently, and that was that police have quietly stopped writing citations for vehicle habitation around town. So data obtained by Voice San Diego shows police did not write any vehicle habitation tickets in the first three months of this year. Last year, they were at a much higher clip and were not quite clear why they stopped. So there's obviously a lot of activists and others who who, uh, want them to stop, don't believe that's a, a... they believe that's a cruel law and, and, and shouldn't have that, but they just abruptly stopped that and they're kind of pointing at a lawsuit, but the there's the city attorney says there's no reason that that lawsuit should have caused that to happen and, and said, talk to the mayor. So it's not que- clear what's going on with that, but that was a significant impact as well. And so a lot of beach communities and other places are seeing more people in RVs and other places like that. The, the, the homeless are as present as they've ever been, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I mean, and you, if you look at when sort of vehicle habitation as an enforcement uh, priority really ramped up was what, like five or six years ago when the city started cracking down on that? Seems that's a decision you can't uphold at the current levels of homelessness. You're, you're starting to see these decisions that are just like the city's hand being forced. There's too many homeless people and too many people living in vehicles for them to reasonably think that they can continue to enforce this, the the policy that they were willing to begin enforcing just you know a half decade ago. Mm-hmm. All right, last bit of news on this front. So there are two city council members who want to create, along with the city attorney's office, a unit in charge of going about and coordinating with county officials to place more people into conservatorships, uh, connecting them with housing and and services, mental health services and others if they are unable to take care of themselves. So council members Jennifer Campbell, Marnie Von Wilpert uh, announced that they want to put $500,000 into this program. The city attorney and mayor are as big as advocates as it gets across the state for for, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom's push to rethink how we can use conservatorship laws for some of the folks struggling on the streets. So it seems like a big step, but how many people does this actually impact and how soon would it actually impact them is I think the two big questions. Yeah, it's still unclear whether we're talking about increasing the number of people who would be eligible for a conservatorship by like dozens of people or thousands of people um, to like meaningfully address the size of the homeless population. It would be need to be in the hundreds, um, but it, but really has been scant on details in terms of how large an expansion of this sort of concept the governor has in mind in the first place yeah i think there's something i've been trying to articulate this there's there is something around this discussion about homelessness that bothers me and it's it's that there is an effort among people when they describe this to to categorize the homeless the people who don't have homes right now as some sort of like type of person Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. as opposed to their people without homes they are, they are a classification that you cannot give homes to because they can't handle it or whatever, mm-hmm. that you can't, that they can't be easily solved. And it also it sort of relieves them of the pressure of having to solve the crisis with homes because 
they can't they're they're like determined to be out there they're 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 a different almost type of human that wants to be out on the streets and that you can't you can't you can't address it with with it, it can't be considered a housing crisis it can't be considered part of that housing crisis because they're different mm-hmm. and i gotta say i'm i'm done with that i have no interest in in participating in a conversation with people who are making those points because yes there are some very very troubled people among that population but did they get did they get that way from being out on the street or or did or did they go out on the street because of that i mean i was going to say that the fatal flaw in that argument is it would have to proffer some sort of explanation for why the share of those people that type of person increased so dramatically in the last 2 years did, right did some was something injected into the water supply in the last two and a half years that caused a 70% increase in the number of those types of people yeah. who live in the city or wh- what, what happened? Like it's an acute increase. If there's an acute increase, what is your, ex- what, what is your explanation for what caused that in- acute increase? Especially if you're going to wave off the other data point, which we have, which is that rents yes. and property values have actually soared that much. Yes, exactly. There was another study in the New York times that showed rents in San Diego had gone up 18%. Over the last year, and again, I'd like to, you see a large increase like that, look at your base number. Are you increasing from a small number? No. San Diego housing rents two years ago were not anyone's idea of cheap. Yeah. So so if you're going to wave off those as causes of the homeless crisis, you better come up with a good one. Really good explanation. Otherwise, and they haven't. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in this quadrant of San Diego. Get the newsletter for this podcast at VOSD.org slash newsletters. That way you'll see it pop up and you'll know that it's come. You can read a little synopsis to see if you're interested in diving deeper. You'll get show notes, links to stories, and more. It comes out every week just like this show. Again, that's the Voice of San Diego podcast newsletter at VOSD.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats is also Managing Editor, along with Andrea Lopez Villafania. Nate John is our producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>